This is the Good Guy Grant Podcast. I'm your host, Grant. Coming up on today's show, I want to talk a little George Hill comments. We actually have a new segment coming up on the show. It's called Who the Fuck is That Guy? We're actually going to look at NBA teams, look at rosters, and look at each individual team and find a player. And we're like, who the hell is this guy? We're also going to talk Arizona basketball as there is a lot of collusion, I would say, in college basketball. I want to talk about that. And then at the end, we'll talk a little NFL playoff as it is. Again, another playoff weekend. Big games going on right now. Big games going on on Sunday. So first and foremost, I want to talk a little NBA. If people, For people that didn't know, George Hill was asked about the coronavirus protocol. George Hill is a point guard. He's actually the backup point guard for the Oklahoma City Thunder. He backs up Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Well, ultimately, I think Shea Gilgis-Alexander is honestly one of the best up-and-coming point guards in the NBA. If you haven't watched him play, even though he's out in Oklahoma City, definitely watch him. I think he's a really good player. So George Hill was asked earlier this week about the new coronavirus protocols that essentially prohibit players from interacting with anyone outside their household or team. And this is a quote from George Hill. I'm a grown man, so I'm going to do what I want to do. If I want to go see my family, I'm going to go see my family. They can't tell me I have to stay in the room 24-7. If it's that serious, then maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't be playing. It's life. No one's going to be able to just cancel their whole life for this game. That's how I think about it. Now, for me, I think that's really selfish when you think about it. The NBA gave the NBA players the option to not play in the NBA bubble this year. So simply put, they can be there for their families. They can travel on the road like they've done in previous seasons, not like the bubble last year to where they were down in Orlando and they had to basically be there down there by by themselves. It wasn't something to where the NBA was like, all right, players, we were successful in the bubble, which they were. They never had any positive tests inside the bubble last year when they were down at Disney in Orlando. This year, they've had to cancel games. They've had numerous COVID-19 positive tests come back. In fact, they are canceling games three or four days ahead of time because of COVID-19 and what's going on. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers in one game didn't have enough players to suit up. You have to have at least seven players to be able to play an NBA basketball game now. Now, I saw where the NBA is going to expand the roster a little bit. They're going to give each team an additional roster spot. It's another two-way contract, which means let's say all your players are healthy. That two-way contract player can go down and play in the developmental league, which is actually going to be down in the NBA bubble. The G League will be. And uh, so that gives them the option if the team is not playing the player a lot, they can go play in the G League. But if the team has a lot of COVID-positive tests, they can use that extra roster spot and play that player. Ultimately, Adam Silver and the NBA front office want this season to go forward. But they, they're they also trying to make it as safe as possible without having to go to the NBA bubble. Uh, for a player who says something the way George Hill said it, I can understand that he wants to spend time with his family and he wants to be pampered and do exactly what he wants to do. But the fact of the matter is, this is an NBA season. This is your job. If your boss tells you to be safe and not do stupid shit, that means don't do anything stupid and listen and get through the season 
once the season's over, you can do whatever the hell you want because you're on vacation for a couple months. The fact that George Hill came out and basically said that is absolutely absurd. At the end of the day, the NBA is having issues with so many players testing positive for COVID because they're not taking this virus serious. Now, players like LeBron James have been very outspoken. He's honestly a model citizen of what's going on in the NBA, not just on the court, but off the court. He makes sure he takes COVID-19 very seriously, very safe. Uh, even when they had family members come down for the playoff in the NBA, LeBron James didn't even want his entire family down there. That's how focused on the NBA playoffs he was, but that's how also he was focused on safety as well. So for me, I think George Hill coming out and saying this is absolutely absurd. He needs to get it together. Take COVID a lot more serious than that. I realize you've been pampered your entire NBA life since you're making millions of dollars. But the fact when you come up and say, I'm a grown man, we know you're a grown man. I'm going to do what I do. That basically says, I don't give a shit about COVID and what's going on. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want, like COVID's not even happening. Now, I understand where he's coming with when he said, if it's that serious, we shouldn't be playing. I agree with that when he said that part of it. So if the NBA wants to shut down, I don't have a problem with that based on how many players are testing positives. And this is coming from somebody who loves the NBA. I love watching it. I enjoy it. But the fact of the matter is this. If players like George Hill and other players are not taking COVID-19 protocols seriously, it's time to look at this and basically say, we're going to cancel the season and you guys are not going to get paid for the entire year unless you start doing some smart shit. Now, at the end of the day, I respect what George Hill had to say, but I think, in fact, he is completely wrong in what he said. I think the NBA, honestly, needs to really think about going back to the bubble atmosphere. Now, I realize a lot of the players would not want to be away from their families that long, but the, and the season is too long to put them down in a bubble. But what the NBA should do is they should do two bubbles, in my opinion. You put the teams out east in one bubble, and you put the teams out west in one bubble, and then you just let them play against each other, basically change the schedule to where only Eastern Conference teams are playing Eastern Conference teams, and Western Conference teams are only playing Western Conference teams until you get to the playoffs. And the reason you can do that is the seeding in the playoffs goes by the best record, so it's going to be one through eight. At the end of the day, you also have to, you have to have the best record in order to get there. So you play against teams in the West if you're in the West. You play against teams in the East if you're in the East. But the NBA players need to really look at themselves in the mirror and think, am I taking COVID-19 and these protocols seriously enough? Because right now, after hearing George Hill's comments, I don't think it is. I mean, the fact is that George Hill is in his 13th season in the NBA. A lot of players don't get to number 13. He's grossed over $100 million in career earnings, so money is not a problem to him. And whenever you give somebody that kind of money and they don't give a shit about the protocols, they're going to do whatever the hell they want. The NBA has had issues with this. Inside the bubble, they had a player order out from a restaurant and go outside the bubble. Ultimately, that was a house who played for the Rockets. He was suspended for that. You had Lou Williams going to strip clubs uh, when he was outside the bubble. Uh, I, I think what the NBA is doing, for how much money they're investing to try to keep their players safe, not having fans in the stands is one, but also weekly testing for all these players as well, trying to keep them safe. I think the NBA players need to do a better job of being safe and taking this virus a lot more seriously than they are. At the end of the day, the players need to play. A lot of these players are not making 
hundreds of millions of dollars in their career. They're going, some of them are going paycheck to paycheck year by year. They're not thinking about after playing after they're 30, 35 years old and what they're going to do after that. They're thinking about how do I get to that next check? Now, if you're trying to get to that next check, you need to be safe, take COVID seriously until you get the vaccine. And then even after you get the vaccine, I still think you got to be safe. But until the NBA players get the vaccine, they need really need to be safe and not listen to what George Hill had to say. Because ultimately, I think George Hill is wrong in everything he did, did when he said that. Now, ultimately, I respect him as a player. Anybody that's been in the league 13 years in the NBA, hey, he's paid his dues. He, I remember he was a good player with the Pacers a long time ago. Uh, he's playing for Oklahoma City, who is in a rebuilding year right now. So he's probably not happy, even though Oklahoma City came back and beat my Bulls last night, which was unfortunately one of the biggest pain-in-the-ass games to watch as a Bulls fan. Up over 15 points, and you end up getting tied in over, going into overtime, and the Bulls lose that game. Thanks, Billy Donovan. But in fact, George Hill in those comments, I think he is wrong. I don't think NBA players should be able to do whatever the hell they want just because they are a grown man. I understand you want to see your family. That's fine. But at the end of the day, be safe. Think about the people who are around you and ultimately follow the COVID protocols that the NBA has in place. Now, one of the, I want to actually transition to the next segment. And again, this is a new segment I want to add into the show. It's a segment called who the fuck is that guy? It's where I'm looking at rosters in the NBA and players and you look at them and you're like, who the hell is this? I want to start off with the San Antonio Spurs. Of course, Greg Popovich is still their coach. He's still around. They got DeRozan, Marcus Aldridge, Patty Mills, but let's get this segment started with I want to look at Quinn Derry Weatherspoon. Yeah, Quinn Derry Weatherspoon. Who the hell is this guy? Second round pick, number 49, 2019 draft out of Mississippi State. Quinn Derry Weatherspoon is a guy who's came out of nowhere, somehow made an NBA roster, and ultimately is playing for the Spurs. Now, he's only averaging uh, 1.1 point a game. He's averaging about seven minutes a uh, game. You know, he's played 11 games so far. But ultimately, Quindary Weatherspoon is not somebody you look at the bench and was like, you know, we really need Quindary this game to be able to get over the hump. Ultimately, Quindary Weatherspoon is, like I say, he's a 2019 second-round pick. He spent some time with the Austin Spurs, which is their G League association, goes to Mississippi State, averages – 14.4 uh, points and six boards a game as a junior at Mississippi State. He goes into his senior year at Mississippi State, puts up similar numbers uh, when he was at Mississippi State, averaged 18.5, honestly. So his points go up from his junior year to his senior year in college from 14 to 18. Rebound actually got worse. He went from 6 to 4.7. Uh, his assist dipped a little bit, and he ultimately played, uh, started more games, played more minutes, Ultimately goes second round to the Spurs. What the Spurs do as an organization, and I really honestly like what they do as an organization, they develop the players that they draft. DeJounte Murray, their point guard, they drafted him. They're developing him. He's a really good player. Lonnie Walker was another first-round player. He's slowly uh, getting a little bit better each and every week, which is good to see. They did invest the first-round pick in him. Keldon Johnson, who was a first-round pick out of Kentucky, they're developing him. Devin Vassell, who is that uh, first-round pick actually in this year's draft out of Florida State, so they got him. He's playing backup minutes, but he's averaging about 20 to 25 minutes a game, which is good to see. I like what they're doing 
uh, with Jakob Pertl. I think he can be a decent backup. But the Quindary Weatherspoon was the names that really kind of caught my eye. And again, this is that who the fuck is that guy next segment. So I want to switch gears, talk, still talk basketball. Hopefully you guys like that segment. But I want to talk college basketball, and I want to look at the Arizona Wildcats. Their coach is Sean Miller. For people that have not been following this story, the NCAA investigated Arizona basketball back in 2017 for basically giving gifts and money to players that they were recruiting. One of those players that they actually recruited and gave money to was Suns starting center DeAndre Ayton. Now, DeAndre Ayton only spent one year at Arizona, but the thing was, in order for Sean Miller to get the commitment from DeAndre Ayton, he gave DeAndre Ayton and his family over $100,000 before he even stepped foot on Arizona and played a game. Now, the NCAA found that out in 2017. Ultimately, DeAndre Ayton goes on to be the number one overall pick of the Phoenix Suns. He's still starting for right now. He's having a decent season with the Suns. They got Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton. But the issues that's going on in college basketball have been going on for years. How this happens is these players, they're really good players, usually top 50, 25 players in the country. And if a coach wants to get the player, you know, they'll do their usual home visits or they'll talk to the players through text messages, things like that. But coaches like Sean Miller, John Calipari is another one. He coaches Kentucky. They take it a step further and they offer extra benefits to these players. How do they do it? They basically go to either a middleman, which is usually somebody who's involved in the program, whether it's a uh, like a video coordinator or a booster or somebody that's just a super fan who Sean Miller's built a relationship up. He basically goes up to those people and said, all right, I'm going to need you to do me a favor. And the person will be like, yeah, what do you need? I need you to give this player in high school this kind of money so we can secure his commitment. Before that happens, DeAndre Ayton sat down with Sean Miller and basically said, if you want me to go to Arizona, I'm going little to need, little need extra to be able to get me to go to Arizona. So Sean Miller says, all right, let me take care of you. You take care of your commitment. Come to the Wildcats. I'll take care of you financially. This has happened in the past so many times. It happened with Zion Williamson as well. I'll talk about that in a minute. But De- DeAndre Ayton went to Arizona for one year, got an extra hundred grand for his family by playing in Arizona. Sean Miller gives him the cash, says, here you go. Ultimately, Sean Miller was caught. They were facing eight charges in terms of NCA violations. They do have a March Madness ban of one year. I believe there's going to be even more sanctions where they're going to have to forfeit games. They're going to have to have issues. One of the charges is lack of institutional control and failure to monitor and lack of head coach control, which that ultimately goes into Sean Miller. This is his team. This is still his team. Ultimately, Sean Miller's had issues in the past. I remember he had this issue at Indiana as well to where there was reports that he gave some benefits to a couple other players as well. But he was caught with Arizona, another player on Arizona who ultimately, honestly, is on the Golden State Warriors right now. He took a little bit of money. That's Nico Mann. He was a five-star player coming out of high school. Ends up going to Arizona for one year. Then he goes pro. Now let me go back to the Zion Williamson thing. For people that don't know Zion Williamson's story, he's from Nevada originally. 
his family didn't have a lot of money kind of growing up and when he was in high school. What does Duke do? Mike Krzyzewski recruits Zion Williamson. He gets him to commit to go to Duke. And then the Duke program buys Zion Williamson's parents a over $300,000 home in Durham for them to live. Now, Zion Williamson has basically said this didn't happen. But the fact is, this house shows exactly its worth and how much it was bought for. And for people that don't know Zion Williamson's parents' story, his parents didn't have a lot of money when he was in high school. He played for a prep school in high school. They got financial aid from the school, so he was able to attend because he was a big-time star in the making. What happens? He goes to Duke. Duke secures the Duke secures the commitment of Zion Williamson. Basically says, all right, Zion, you held up your end of the bargain. You're going to Duke to be able to play with us. We're going to be able to make some money off you selling jerseys, selling ticket sales off you for you being there. Let me, let's go and buy your parents a house in Durham so they ultimately get a free house. They can go to all the games that are, you play in while at Duke. Zion Williamson plays one year at Duke. He gets hurt, unfortunately. Ends up still being the number one overall pick of the New Orleans Pelicans. Makes a ton, millions of dollars with endorsement deals as well as his first contract. Zion Williamson comes out and says, no, my parents were never given a house. They financed it because they knew I was going to make a ton of money in the NBA. Bullshit. The NCAA is cracking down a little bit on these benefits, but it's not doing enough. There's still programs going on that are having these issues. Zion Williamson got money from Duke. DeAndre Ayton and Nico Manon got money from the Arizona Wildcats. There was also a thing I remember years ago. This is when DeMar DeRozan was in high school. And basically what he said, this was before he committed to USC. He talked to the USC coaches and said, I will commit to USC, but you have to give me a little bit of money. And then you also have to bring another player that I want to play with, be able to come to the program as well. The other player was Master P's son, Romeo Miller, who was honestly a terrible player for USC. He didn't play a lot of minutes. He didn't score a lot of points. DeMar DeRozan was a All-American while at USC. Ends up being a first-round pick for the Toronto Raptors and ends up making a ton of money in the NBA and still is. DeMar DeRozan took money at USC. USC got busted for that. Uh, DeMar DeRozan basically had a package deal. If you want me, Romeo Miller must come with me. So this happens in the NCAA college basketball more than people think and realize, and it's happening a lot. It's just a matter of, do these coaches get caught? Of course, you had John Calipari get caught when he was at UMass with Marcus Camby giving him benefits, things like that. Like I said, Arizona and Sean Miller got busted for DeAndre Ayton and Nico Manon. Duke is being investigated because of the Zion Williamson thing. You had USC years back. DeMar DeRozan took some money as well. Those are just a few examples of what's honestly going on in college basketball. Now, I want to switch a little bit. I want to talk a little NFL the playoffs are going on uh, actually this weekend. They're going on right now. Uh, it is the uh, Rams and Packers right now playing 16-3. to Packers are up in the second quarter. Of course, for the Rams, you have Jared Goff, who's playing with an injured hand. He is playing. Blake Bortles is the backup. That John Wolford guy who had a neck injury last year, he's not even suited up. Or excuse me, not last year. Last week, he played for the injured uh, Jared Goff, but Wolford got hurt in the game. Jared Goff had to go in. So Wolford's not active. Jared Goff is starting. And Blake Bortles, who used to be the first-round pick who played for Jacksonville, is the backup uh, for the Rams as of right now. 
But the thing is, Aaron Rodgers is just in his own element right now. He's playing really good football. A lot of people think he should be the MVP. I think it should go to Josh Allen. But right now, Aaron Rodgers, 12 of 16, 115, and a touchdown. That touchdown pass was to Devontae Adams, of course. That was that one-year touchdown. But the thing with uh, the Rams and the Packers is it's going to come down to can the Rams make enough plays to where it makes this game close? Ultimately, I don't think it's going to happen, and that's why the Rams are down 13 as of right now. It is only the second quarter. But Aaron Rodgers, when you're playing at Lambeau Field, and there is fans in the stands for people that don't know, which is absurd in my opinion, but that's another story. Aaron Rodgers got the Packers home field advantage throughout the playoffs with a great record, 13-3. and They're 7-1 and at home. The Rams are 4-4 four and four on the road. I think the Rams honestly snuck into the playoffs even though they finished 10-6. and six. But the Rams, they're not as good as people make. I think, I think Cam Akers is a good running back. He's a good young running back. He's the rookie out of Florida State. Uh, Jared Goff, he's been kind of hit or miss this year. But Aaron Rodgers, with his accuracy and the way he's playing football and playing at home, and of course, I know a lot of people aren't going to like when I say that Aaron Rodgers gets a lot of calls from the referee that favors him as well. It's happened over the years. Case in point, look at that Des Bryant play when he was playing for the Cowboys against the Packers. Call ended up going in the Packers' way. Of course, they were at home. I think the Packers are going to win this game. If Aaron Rodgers plays well, they're going to go really deep in these playoffs. But it comes down to, can Aaron Rodgers take care of the football, make smart plays, not get a lot of sacks, the offensive line needs to hold up, and ultimately I think the, the Rams get beat and the Packers advance. The night game today is the Ravens-Bills. That's Lamar Jackson leading the Ravens against Josh Allen, who I think, like I said, is the MVP of the NFL. He led the league in passing. It led the Bills to a 13-3 and record, of course, with the emergence of Stephon Diggs after they traded for him. That's helped out Josh Allen a lot. Uh, but the fact is, this is a big game for both teams. Lamar Jackson was able to get over that hump with that first playoff win, so was Josh Allen last week. But Lamar Jackson has not looked like the same Lamar Jackson he did look like when he was an MVP. The Ravens' offense has been really up and down this season. Mark, uh, yeah, Mark Ingram is not active, so it's going to be all J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards tonight for the for the Ravens. That running back, of course, you got the the running of Lamar Jackson. But the Ravens' defense is playing really good this season. It comes down to can Lamar Jackson make enough plays to keep them in this game and get them over the hump for the Buffalo Bills? It comes down to can Josh Allen play mistake-free football to the point to where it's going to lead them to a victory and lead them to the next round of the playoffs. I really like Josh Allen. He has a live arm. He really does try to be a really good quarterback. He does make some boneheaded mistakes at times. He sometimes overthrows receivers. But I think Josh Allen should be the MVP of the NFL. They'll probably give it to Aaron Rodgers, but I think it should be Josh Allen. And I think the Bills end up winning this game. I think Josh Allen makes the necessary plays to be able to get him over the hump. I just think the Ravens' offense is just too inconsistent. It's been, like I said, up and down all season. I like their defense, but their offense just hasn't been the same. I think teams have started to figure them out. They need to be able to change up that offense to be able to go forward. Uh, for the Sunday games, you have the uh, 305 game. It's the Browns and Chiefs. Browns coming off that big win against the Steelers last week. Kansas City Chiefs were on the bye last week due to have the best record in the AFC at 14-2. and two. You have Patrick Mahomes. You have Tyreek Hill. You have Travis Kelsey, Nico Hardman. You got a lot of weapons on offense. But the Chiefs' defense has to play well in order for them to continue to win. You know Patrick Mahomes is going to make those plays, make those big-time throws. 
but Baker Mayfield and the Browns, you got Jarvis Landry, you got Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb. Petonio is going to be back in this game. Joe Petonio, the offensive lineman for the Browns, that's a good sign for them. The Browns' offense has not been the issue. It's the Browns' secondary and their defense. If the Browns' offense does well and the defense holds up, this is going to be a lot closer game than people think. Right now, the, the betting line is Kansas City Chiefs minus 10. They are at home at Arrowhead, which favors the Chiefs, of course. And again, you have Patrick Mahomes, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, already won a Super Bowl MVP, and they're trying to repeat as Super Bowl champs. Going up against the Cleveland Browns, that's a 305 game. The night game, I don't really care much about the night game. It's 640, is the, um, that's Eastern time. It's the Bucks and Saints. It's Tom Brady against Drew Brees. I don't think Drew Brees has it anymore. Ultimately, I think his arm is done. Uh, they do have Michael Thomas, like I said, Alvin Kamara. But I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just have too many weapons for Tom Brady. you got Tony Brown, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Gronkowski. You have Leonard Fournette. You have an offensive line that's got Donovan Smith, who's really good. Tristan Wirfs, the rookie uh, tackle, has played outstanding for them. But it's going to come down to defense on this on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Can they hold up enough on defense to stop Drew Brees? Ultimately, I think they do. I don't think Drew Brees has the arm strength anymore to be able to get the job done. I don't think that defense for the Saints is very good. You have Marshawn Lattimore. Demario Davis, who I think has been really good. Uh, sorry about that. My Apple Watch just went off. Uh, but the fact that you have Demario Davis, Marshawn Lattimore, but you can't get pressure on the quarterback. That's always been the Achilles heel for the Saints. Uh, Marcus Davenport has not been the, the first-round pick they thought he was going to be. I think Tampa Bay wins this game. I think Tom Brady advances the playoffs again. I know people are probably tired of hearing about Tom Brady advancing the playoffs, but ultimately I think that does happen. The last segment I want to talk about on this show, I want to thank the, the viewerships of the past couple episodes. The viewership is up uh, last couple weeks, which is good to see. A lot more interaction on Facebook, on the Good Guy Grant page. Some more interaction on the Good Guy Grant Twitter. You know, send me a message. I'll interact whether I like it or not. You know, that's what the show is about, having difference of opinion. A lot of people might not agree with some of the opinions I had. That's completely fine. I'm not always 100% on a lot of the predictions I make. I said a couple days ago that Robert Sala was going to be the coach of the Detroit Lions after that interview. The GM of the Lions wanted to hire Robert Sala. He was the defensive coordinator for the 49ers. But ownership in Detroit basically said, no, we don't want him. We're going to go with somebody else. Lions don't have an opening. So what did the Jets do? The Jets interviewed Robert Sala in person. Ultimately, the Jets picked him up, hired him. I think he's a good coach. He's going to turn around that defense for the Jets. But anytime you hire a defensive coordinator to be a head coach, you know that defense coordinator has the strength to be able to turn a defense around because that's what he's done most of his uh, professional career. But you have to hire a really good offensive coordinator because that defense coordinator doesn't know shit about coaching the offense. So you have to hire a really good offensive coordinator to be able to get the job done. That's what the Jets need to do. But I think that's the Lions' miss. I'm not sure where the Lions are going to go from here. They looked at Jim Harbaugh, but they never ultimately interviewed him at the start of the free agent window. Uh, like I said, they interviewed Robert Sala. I think Eric Bieniemy's uh, interviewed. He's the Kansas City Chiefs offense coordinator. They've had the, I think, Arthur Smith, who has now been offered the coach to be the, the new head coach for the Atlanta Falcons. He was the uh, offense coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. But the Detroit Lions job is still up for grabs. I did see Brian Dayball 
who is the offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. He's the front runner to get the LA Chargers head coaching job since Anthony Lynn was let go. So that's another job to kind of keep in mind. But again, I want to thank everybody's viewerships. If you really like the new segment, let me know. Uh, ultimately, I hope everybody enjoys the holiday weekend, enjoys the episode, and just has a really good week.